Readers of the Gospel of John often comment that this book has a high Christology. It's a fancy way of saying that in comparison with the other Gospels, John puts a whole lot of emphasis on Jesus's divine origin and nature. You can't listen to Jesus talk for very long in this Gospel and come away with the idea that he was merely human. You know what I mean. In our reading last week, Jesus described himself as the bread that has come down from heaven. This is indeed the will of my Father, he went on, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is not your typical rabbi speaking here. Elsewhere in the gospel, he says things like, the Father and I are one, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Sometimes he speaks almost like this otherworldly being. And while that might sound strange at times, we shouldn't be too surprised. John has sort of given us fair warning. He told us right from the start that we are dealing with somebody who's not just another teacher or healer here. He's not even just the Messiah. Jesus is the Word, says John, through whom all things came into being. He was with God and was God. He's the light that shines in the darkness. John puts a whole lot of weight on Jesus' divine nature. We really are talking about God here, he says. So then you might imagine that this whole gospel would take place sort of up in the air, in otherworldly spiritual talk with this eternal word. But that's what's so remarkable about this book. It pairs that high Christology with some of the very earthiest language that we have about Jesus. This is the gospel where Jesus weeps for his grieving friends. This is the gospel where Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding feast. This is the gospel where Jesus invites his fearful, grieving friends to stick their finger in the wound in his side. This is the gospel that proclaims the word became flesh, became skin and bone, and eyelashes and toenails. For all of its lofty themes and heavenly talk, this gospel insists that in Jesus, God is present here, in this world, in human life, in a body. We call that the incarnation, and I know it's familiar talk in church. But we should never lose sight of how profoundly strange it is to talk about God this way. God who not only comes near to human life, but who shares it. God who doesn't stay distant from dust and bruises and heartache, but who experiences it. Who takes it all on. So, if you need a reminder today of just how strange the Incarnation is, our reading from the Gospel of John is here to help. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, Jesus says, and going a few steps further, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. I mentioned last week that John 6 is sort of widely regarded as this gospel's meditation on the Eucharist. There's no Last Supper in John, so this is it. This is where this book speaks about the meal of bread and wine that Jesus and his followers, that Jesus' followers began sharing in the time soon after his death and that Christians have continued doing as a central practice. For all this time. 
I imagine many of us probably prefer the more familiar language from the other Gospels, where Jesus passes around bread and wine to his friends and says more simply, this is my body given for you. Sort of gentler and less graphic somehow. More open to hearing symbolically, like maybe Jesus is just drawing an analogy between himself and the food and drink being passed around among friends. John's language is blunt and gritty and uncompromising. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. The Greek verb there even has the connotation of chewing. There's nothing very subtle or gentle about it. So on the one hand, yuck, right? This is unpleasant language that I imagine makes most of us squirm just a little bit. Even if we've been taking communion for years, it's not particularly comfortable to think of it in these gory terms. We can understand perfectly well why the crowds are disputing about what he's saying here. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's a very reasonable question, don't you think? So on the one hand, this is a difficult reading, and one that I, at least, might be happy to kind of pass over lightly. But on the other hand, this passage puts the incarnation and the inherent physicality of Christianity in sort of the starkest possible terms. And maybe that's not such a bad thing right now. Sarah Miles was not accustomed to going to church. She had not grown up with it. Virtually none of her family members or close friends were churchgoers, and she had an abundance of reasons to stay away. She describes herself as, at best, indifferent to religion, more often appalled by its fundamentalist crusades. From where she stood, firmly on the outside, Christianity appeared to be only a force for intolerance and closed-mindedness, something that she had no use for or interest in. And then one Sunday morning when she was in her early 40s, she wandered past the doors of St. Gregory's Episcopal Church in San Francisco. I had no earthly reason to be there, she writes. I had never heard a gospel reading, never said the Lord's Prayer. I certainly was not interested in becoming a Christian, or as I thought of it rather less politely, a religious nut. Still something compelled her to step inside. And so she did. She found 20 or so people seated around a circular altar. She took a place at the back and followed along, sitting and standing and listening and keeping silence and sort of enjoying what was going on around her, also thinking it was maybe a little bit ridiculous. And then we gathered around the table, she writes. And there was more singing and standing. And somebody was putting a piece of fresh, crumbly bread in my hands, saying, the body of Christ and handing me the goblet of sweet wine, saying, the blood of Christ. And then something outrageous and terrifying happened. Jesus happened to me. She took communion that Sunday with no background in Christian faith or theology or virtually any idea about what others said this whole ritual meant. She was simply following the liturgy and the invitation of this congregation that she had stumbled into which insisted that Jesus welcomed everybody to the table. It was as simple as that. And inexplicably, she found herself drawn in. A door suddenly opened for her 
a door that over time led into a new way of seeing herself and the world and other people and ultimately God. Her introduction to Christian faith was not reading the Bible or carefully considering a bunch of theology and making a decision. It was bread given at the altar and the warmth and the messiness of the living community that she found gathered there. Sarah Miles's memoir, which maybe some of you have seen before, is focused largely around what happened at the altar at St. Gregory's that first Sunday and then the conversion that it began in her life. It's called Take This Bread, and it's a beautiful book. And spending time with it this past week was a gift for me, and also a reminder of just how central bodies are to the Christian faith. The body of Jesus that we insist with the Gospel of John was, in fact, God's body. And the bodies around us, the real flesh and blood people God gives to us as neighbors, and whom we insist become the body of Christ. For the majority of us, Worship and church life over this past year have taken place almost exclusively online. For very good reasons, we have been worshiping from our homes and keeping physical distance from one another. For some of us, it has been possible to start easing back into some in-person activities over the past months. For others, that's still not practical or possible. And all of that is right. We continue to do what we need to do to keep everybody safe in this season. But I think it's worth remembering today that Christianity has never been just a bunch of ideas and propositions. It's never been just a message, something that's easily transmitted through pixels and screens. No, it has always been a deeply physical faith and a way of life that has everything to do with bodies, with fellow worshipers in the assembly, and with neighbors beyond, with food and drink, with hunger and thirst, with flesh and blood, with bread and wine placed in your hands, with the eyes of another worshiper meeting yours, with the God who became human and so showed us the holiness of all human bodies. Can we worship online at a distance for a season? Yes, of course. And that's been the right thing to do, and it still remains the right decision for many right now. But in this peculiar time, let's not forget what the Christian faith has always been, and still is, a faith that is worked out in flesh and blood encounters with one another and with Jesus. That is finally good news. And so is Jesus' insistence that life is there to be found in the eating and drinking because it means that abundant life is here to be seen and touched. It means that grace is here to be experienced with all of our senses. It means that Jesus is here, not just the idea of Jesus or the memory of Jesus, but Jesus himself in food and drink, in neighbors who become his body. Friends, he is here for you continuing to offer himself as bread for the life of the world. Thanks be to God for this flesh and blood faith. Amen.